Thanks. And I already thanked him uh, earlier today for giving me such a great text. Um, let's turn in our Bibles, wherever your Bibles may be. Exodus chapter 4. And there's so many wonderful things in Exodus chapter 4 uh, to, to think about. I try not to think about this one because it's just plain hard to deal with. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, I'm going to start at verse uh, 24 and uh, follow along with me. Exodus 4, verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Mm. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. This is the word of the Lord. <sighs> All right. But I, I got a few points on this. Number one, I have no idea. Honestly, I got, I got nothing. I got no idea. Um, we can um, do number two now. Ready? Here's the next point. Exegetically responsible means biblically faithful and vice versa. Biblically faithful means exegetically responsible. I'm not trying to use big old fancy words. I'm just trying to say that when we read the Bible, we need to know how to read it historically, grammatically, plain sense of the Scriptures. Let Scripture interpret Scripture, etc. And so my promise to you in these next few moments is that I'm going to strive to be exegetically responsible, and that means biblically faithful. And I want you also to be biblically faithful in your walk with this Word of God. And so the first piece of that gets into number three the bulk of what we can say about what's going on in Exodus chapter 4, Zipporah, the foreskin, Yahweh the Lord trying to kill Moses, I think. I have no idea. But context, and that starts with Exodus. Exodus, the primary salvific event of the entire Old Testament. Everything points to Exodus. Everything comes out of Exodus. And so we need to know Moses' story. Moses story starts with a pharaoh that did not know Joseph as the people of Israel, the sons and grandsons and great-grandsons and great-great-grandsons of Israel had grown up in Egypt, and there was, uh, well, uh, frankly, a, uh, a genocidal move by the pharaoh to kill all of the firstborn, uh, or to kill all the, the male babies, excuse me, of the Israelites. And that's why the miracle of Moses' salvation comes out in Exodus. Uh, the, uh, the, the mother of, of Moses puts the baby, who looked like no ordinary child after three months or so, had, had raised him up as this, this child, and put him in a basket and let him flow uh, down the Nile. And then Pharaoh's daughter picks him up and says, I'm going to raise this child. And Miriam, Moses' older sister, is sitting there saying, hey, why don't you uh, give him over here to this mother to nurse? And so Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household, Pharaoh's daughter, and also with this race. And with this name, Moshe, means he draws out. He was drawn out of the water, and so uh, he's uh, destined to draw the children of Israel out of Egypt, that land of yeast, that land of sin. He grows up 
in Pharaoh's house. And then he sees two Israelites fighting amongst each other. He sees an an Egyptian chieftain abusing one of the Israelite slaves. He kills the Egyptian. And when he uh, remarks on the, the quarrel between the Israelites... One of the Israelites says, what, do you want to kill one of us too, like you did that Egyptian? And so Moses flees. Moses flees across the east and over south into the land of Midian, over by Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, to the Midianites. And so he has culture number three. He's a Jew, he's an Egyptian, and now he's in a Midianite family. He gets to know Jethro and shepherds Jethro's flocks there in Midian. Jethro has a daughter, Zipporah, and Moses marries her and feels okay about it. This is what we hear in Exodus chapter 2. And then in Exodus chapter 3, he's shepherding the flocks of Jethro, and then he sees something that nobody's ever seen in their life. It was a bush, and it was on fire, but it was not being consumed. And so Moses says, why don't I go over there and check it out? And when he goes over, he hears a voice saying, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. He says, well, okay, and he takes off his shoes, and the voice coming out of the the fiery, flamey, burning bush, says, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And now I've appointed you. You're going to go into Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses says, oh, yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm not going to do that. What's your name? And he says, well, my name's Yahweh. I am that I am. You're going to tell everybody there in Egypt, you've got to take your people out here so that they can worship Yahweh in the desert. And he says, well, you've got to give me some signs. And so he says, well, take out your stick. And it turns into a snake, and Moses runs away. He's all afraid, right? And he comes back, says, grab it by the tail, and it turns into a stick again. This is extraordinary. He says, okay, you can do that. You can turn the Nile River into blood. All kinds of stuff. Moses is still not convinced. He says, well, I don't speak too well. I'm like Armstrong on Monday Chapel. It's not going to come out... And uh, he says, this is when the Lord's anger starts to burn pretty hot against him. This is the very end of chapter 3. He says, don't you have a brother, an older brother? He's going to come. I've already put it in his heart to go and meet you at some point. And you're going to meet him. He's going to talk for you. You're going to give him the words to speak. You're going to be like God to Aaron. And and your words, Moses and Aaron's words, are going to be like God to Pharaoh. And I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. It's going to be tough, but he's going to let you go. It's going to be great. So Moses, Exodus chapter 4, he gets ready to pack up. He says, Jethro, i got to get out of here. I'm not going to shepherd your flocks anymore. He says, okay, go ahead. And evidently, this is context, Zipporah and the son of Moses and another son of Moses, he's got two of them, we got two names, they're going to go along with them. And then, okay, this is at Exodus chapter 4. Follow along with me now. Exodus 4, starting verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro's father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. Because i got to let my people go. Okay. Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. You remember that snaky staff? All right. And then the Lord said to Moses, this is verse 21, and I think this is probably the most important context here. Hmm? When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I'm going to harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, and here's the big guns right here, thus says the Lord, Israel 
is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And then we get our text about Zipporah and the flint and the circumcision and the touching and the foreskin and the, I don't know, weird. But notice what we have right there in verse 23. We have the foreshadowing of what's going to happen, especially in Exodus chapter 4, verses 12, uh, Exodus uh, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, the Exodus out of Egypt, the Passover, the death of the firstborn, the final plague, the tenth of the ten plagues that the Lord pours out on Pharaoh's house on Egypt, the death of the firstborn son, where there is sacrifice and blood a mark on the lintel and on the doorposts so that the angel of the Lord will pass over the firstborn sons of the Israelites. And a meal to commemorate it that will be annual, where a lamb will roast and the son will ask the father, Daddy, why are we roasting a lamb? Why are we girding up our garments? Why do we have our staff in our hand like we're about to take off someplace? And the father's supposed to say to the son, that lamb is roasting their son because it should be you. You aren't roasting. The Lord made a substitute. The Lord made a redemption. The Lord bought you back with the sacrifice. And that's why we celebrate. That's why we eat. And that's why we commemorate this exodus. Because you were bought by blood. By the blood of the firstborn sons of Egypt. By the blood of the lamb whose mark is on our lintel. By the blood of the lamb who's roasting right there. By the blood of Pharaoh and his chariots who are now drowned in the Red Sea. Praise to the Lord Almighty, the horse and the rider. He has thrown into the sea. You were bought. You were redeemed. You were set free, and it was blood that did it. That's the context that we get. Moses, as a baby, growing up, his flight to Midian, this multicultural Moses, this Moses who is at one time a Jew and an Egyptian and a Midianite and doesn't quite fit into any of them, but this is God's chosen person to draw his people out of Egypt. We've got Jethro, we've got Zephora, we've got the two sons, I don't know which one was circumcised. I've read a lot of commentaries, I've read a, a lot of the exegetical helps, I've even read Wikipedia. I just don't know what exactly is going on, but I do know that blood and sacrifice and redemption and the mark and the seal and the circumcision mean a great deal to the Lord and how he deals with his people. Yahweh has a plan, even if it includes threatening Moses on the way from Midian to Egypt, even if it includes threatening so that the sons and the wife won't go with him, even if it means that a woman has to take a flint and do something as dramatic as touch it to Moses' feet, if it is Moses' feet or Yahweh's feet or whether it's a euphemism for something else, and say, you have become a bridegroom of blood to me. There is something that connects us that is deep, that is symbolic, and that is real in the blood. But the death of the firstborn here, I think, is what's key. The death of the firstborn and the redemption of the firstborn. So in our last few minutes, what I'd like to do is be exegetically responsible and biblically faithful and think about how God 
fulfills redemption of a firstborn son. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Redemption of firstborn happens through blood. We see this at the culmination in Exodus chapter 12 to 15 with the Passover and the Lamb and the Red Sea and the, and the Song of Miriam. But we also need to see where God's law that is later given through Moses on the redemption of firstborn sons is fulfilled. And so we turn to Luke chapter 2. Where do we see a son getting redeemed? Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21. 21. Jesus is a great place to go, not because I don't know what else to preach. And it is a confusing text, don't get me wrong. I could do that. But Jesus, he's a great place to go to when we're trying to be exegetically responsible and biblically faithful because Jesus himself in this gospel, Luke chapter 24, says that Moses and the prophets, they speak of me. All the things that Moses and the prophets said, they are fulfilled in me. And they're fulfilled already when he's eight days old. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Take a look. And at the end of eight days, when he, Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word that means he saves. Yeshua. God saves. That's the first blood that Jesus ever shed. The first blood was the blood that was demanded of all of the Israelite babies. And, verse 22, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present Jesus to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons, Mary, Joseph, her husband, the poor people that they are, making a sacrifice, redeeming, buying back from the Lord what he demands, the firstborn son. Where do we see a son getting redeemed? Turn to Matthew chapter 2. Bible gymnastics, just a little bit. Matthew chapter 2. We start at verse 13. I love Bible reading. We're going to read a few verses here. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed... That's the, uh, the wise guys. You remember the wise guys? They came with you know, gold and frankincense and myrrh. How many of them were there? We don't know, right? It doesn't say, but we always say three because that's what my nativity scene says, all right? So verse 13, now when they, the wise guys, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. That's Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Israel, the son of God. Jesus, the son of God. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. 
to refuse to be comforted because they are no more redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the innocent. Redeemed. Redeemed by blood. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life or death. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel and went up north to Nazareth so that he would be called a Nazarene. Where do we hear of children getting redeemed? Of blood? Of God caring about one child in particular? One child who was an alien in the midst of the people that he came to redeem. (laughs) Not really He was an Israelite, but his fellow Israelites didn't want to hear him. Moses, and Moses' antitype, Jesus. Neither Midianite nor Egyptian, not even an Israelite that an Israelite would give any time of day to. John chapter 1, last bit of reading that we're going to do to think about what Exodus chapter 4 might be at least hinting at. John chapter 1, starting at verse 11. You know these words. Follow along with me. He, that is the word of God, he. The word of God came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not the blood of a circumcision, not the blood of some kind of murderous tendency in an odd text of Exodus chapter 4, verse 24, not the blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. There's something more than just biology going on with Zipporah and Moses. There's something more than just genealogy going on with Moses and Yahweh in Exodus chapter 4. There's something more going on. It's the will of God that's going on. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You've become a bridegroom of blood to me, says Zipporah, and that's all we hear, a bridegroom of blood. This might be some kind of ancient, ritual, liturgical kind of text that's being explained finally in Exodus chapter 4. But we have a bridegroom who has demonstrated his love to us in his own blood. This word of God, Jesus, who circumcised on our behalf, shed blood for us. Not only in his circumcision, but in his bloody death for you. This bridegroom of blood has more to say than just genealogy. He's made us his fellow brothers and sisters, his inheritors, his co-heirs, by faith. The seed of the woman that is in you and me is divine DNA, not by the will of a man, not by blood that runs through us, but by this intimate association. Our Jesus has become a bridegroom for us. And so we leave today with simply one more verse. Revelation 22, verse 14. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Amen.